Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumlaw Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumlaw or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumlaw.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, hey, we are so thankful that all of you decided to show up to Grumlaw today, whether you've been showing up to Grumlaw for literally years at this point, or maybe this is literally your first time giving us a shot. We never take that for granted. And honestly, it's not lost on us that, again, checking places out like this can be a bit of an intimidating experience. So again, uh, we're thankful that you are watching right now. And also in that, would like to issue you a challenge and uh, maybe better stated, an invitation uh, to come back for at least three straight weeks. And the reason that we say that is that every week is unique. Unique. Every week is different, and we frankly think it's going to take at least a couple of weeks for you to really get an accurate feel of what we're all about here. And uh, we're kind of bullish on the point that if you do give this three straight weeks, uh, this is going to be a place that you you look forward to showing up to. Uh, in fact, I think one of the greatest promises that God offers us is that as we move closer to Him, He will always move closer to, to us. And so keep coming back, keep exploring, keep asking questions, uh, keep moving closer to the God of the universe who is absolutely crazy about you. Now, all of you, you are catching us at a great time as today. We are starting a brand new series titled Upside Down. Uh, series that's actually going to take us all the way through the month of July. So we're going to be parked here for quite a while. And we're going to be specifically exploring some words from Jesus that we find right at the beginning of what is easily his most famous sermon. Uh, It has been dubbed the Sermon on the Mount. Even if you didn't grow up going to church, you you probably heard that phraseology before. Now, if you'd like to follow along with us here throughout this series, uh, we find the sermon uh, in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is one of the four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus that we find right at the beginning of the New Testament, which is that latter half of scripture. We got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're often referred to as the gospel accounts. Uh, Gospel is this term that means good news. We think it's good news that the God of the universe came down, became flesh, dwelt among us, and then would ultimately offer his life for for our sins. So again, if you've ever heard that term gospel before, that's where we get it from. So again, we find this sermon Uh, in Matthew chapter 5. And with that, uh, I want to challenge all of you. Uh, We have these Matthew scripture journals that are available actually in our stores. Uh, If you come to either one of our physical locations, uh, we're only charging actually $4 for these things. That's actually less money than you would pay for them if you actually went online and you bought it yourself. Uh, We're actually, these journals, just as they sound, we have uh, pages of scripture, a portion of scripture, and then a a corresponding page uh, that just has some open space where it's open for you to just write down some honest thoughts thoughts, feelings, convictions that God is laying on your heart as you read. And here's kind of a a nagging conviction for me as a pastor uh, and for many others who do what I do for a living. It, It would be a bit of a bummer if these Sunday mornings, what we're doing right now, were ultimately reduced to just a teaching to listen to. That that is part of it, but but it's not the whole thing. Uh, We're cautioned actually throughout scripture to not be merely hearers of the word, that is the the scriptures, this book that we call the Bible, uh, but we're told to be doers. And and our hope is around here is that we're also giving you habits to emulate. Remember we talked quite a bit about that in the last series that we were in, the ruthless elimination of hurry, That, that each of you who are earnestly seeking Jesus would attempt to model your life like Jesus. Live like like he lived. Adopt his rhythms. After all, if you want the life of Jesus, then you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. And something that Jesus modeled so well for us was the importance of spending that, that daily time with his heavenly father. 
what we refer to around here as that daily encounter, where you, again, you actually open up this book called the Bible and you allow it to speak to you. Uh, We challenge those of you who are new to all of this to just pick a chapter a day, just begin to read a, a chapter a day, and then you begin to actually share honest thoughts and feelings with him through something called prayer. Now, now some of you, and, and this is a bit scary for a guy like me, uh, you've based almost everything that you think you know about Jesus upon what people like me have to say about him. That, that is, you've never really opened up the biographical accounts of the life of Jesus and read about Jesus for yourself. So again, back back to these journals. But my hope, our hope, our prayer over the course of this summer is that you pour into your relationship with Jesus like never before. At a time of the year when, let's be honest, so many people drift from Jesus, let us as a faith community cultivate a deeper intimacy than, than we ever have before. And that begins, and it's frankly forever going to be built upon, and this really should surprise no one since this is how every relationship is built, that that daily time spent with him. Again, I'll say it for like the thousandth time, the single most important habit that any of you could possibly develop in your life. And so my challenge to all of you, uh, get one of these Bible journals. I'll hold it up here nice and clearly. You can even order one online uh, and read a chapter a day. Read a chapter of Matthew a day. And every day, as we talked about actually at the end of our last series, I would invite you to journal three questions. One, where did I most feel God's presence over the last 24 hours? Number two, where did I feel furthest from God over the last 24 hours? And and number three, what is one takeaway from the chapter that I just read? Every day, begin to journal those three questions after you have spent that time reading that chapter of Scripture. And and if you've never practiced journaling before, I'm telling you, this one practice will force you to to be more present with Jesus than you ever have been before. And, and, And as we often remind you around here, again, I already said it at the top, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Now, now one more observation, and I really do have to move on. Uh, we, we note often that, that God has placed a void inside each one of us that intuitively causes us to go searching for him. And we regularly attempt to fill that void with cheap substitutes, but they always end up falling short because, again, it's a void that only Jesus can fill. As Augustine so eloquently put it in his famous text, Confessions, our, our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. And what's so interesting about spiritual hunger is it differs from from every other type of hunger. See, in the physical, that the longer you go without, for instance, eating, that the hungrier you get. And and once you eat your fill, you are, as they say, satisfied at least for a moment. But but actually, the exact opposite is true with spiritual hunger. That the further you drift from God, the the more apathetic, the more non-hungry you actually become. But conversely, the more you seek Jesus, the closer you draw to Jesus, the the hungrier you become. You just want more and more and more and more. So so often I'll talk with people and they'll say things like, man, I just don't get it. I I just don't seem to be feeling what these other people are feeling. Like, I mean, during worship, they seem into it and I'm just kind of bored. It seems weird to me. When other people tell me they hear like the voice of God, I'm like, I've, I've never experienced that in my life. But, but if you're being honest, and as we often dig into those conversations, your spiritual hunger, it, it consists of showing up to church about once, let's be honest, about once every three weeks. And, and so therefore, I'm not too surprised. Again, my challenge to you would be go all in with Jesus. And watch how that spiritual hunger, watch how that 
passion awakens, that the more you seek him, the more you will want. And so I'm begging you, invest this summer into your relationship with Jesus like you never have before. And again, use this journal as a tool to help get you there. All right, that was like the longest introduction ever. And again, hopefully you heard that. Did I mention that I really want you to grab these things and begin journaling and spending time with Jesus? Okay, back to the Sermon on the Mount, which again, we find right there again at the beginning of Matthew's gospel account. Uh, a couple interesting facts about that Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it is the longest and, and most would argue the most famous recorded sermon from Jesus himself. Uh, most biblical scholars believe that this was actually the largest crowd that Jesus ever preached to, with some estimating as many as thirty to 40,000 people. And, and in all likelihood, it was a message that was actually taught over days, not, not hours. And, and perhaps most notable, and surely you've actually noticed this if you've ever read it for yourself. Uh, This sermon, it hits hard. So often, particularly in our American context, Christianity, it's reduced to just treating everybody really nice and and loving one another. And and that is definitely a part of following Jesus. But but that's not the picture of following Jesus that you would get from, from hearing these words from the Sermon on the Mount. See, Jesus comes along and he basically flips everything upside down. But virtually everything that he taught is the complete opposite of where our instincts naturally take us, what the world would, would tell us, which, which begs the question, and come on, let, let's just ask it right here on the front end, why follow Jesus, right? I mean, that's a question that's definitely circulating around in the heads of some of you. Why listen to him? Why not go where, where your instincts tell you to go? Do what your body tells you to do. If it comes naturally to you, then then it must be good for you. Does that maybe sound a little bit familiar? See, the Beatitudes, what they've come to be referred to as, they're they're the first statements that Jesus makes, again, in this most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Those are the eight statements that we're going to be exploring here over the course of the series. These statements, they have a way of setting the tone for the rest of what Jesus would say, a way of declaring, hey, for any of you who thought that I've come to just sort of tweak this religious system, you thought wrong. The the new Jesus says that I am ushering in is is a complete overhaul. Uh, Again, to return to the name of this series, Jesus says, I am flipping everything you thought you knew about God and his kingdom upside down. So following Jesus' lead, I I want to similarly set the tone for this series right now. And and for a lot of you, especially those of you who are just starting to explore and perhaps very much asking that question, why follow Jesus, I think you'll appreciate right now this appeal to the more logical side of our brains. As human beings, and especially in our hyper-individualized, freedom of expression, UBU society that we have here in the West, We crave autonomy more than just about anything else. So we shun, and if you think about it, almost violently oppose anything that infringes upon our personal freedoms. So naturally, (laughs) Jesus comes along and starts saying things like, your body doesn't even belong to you. You you were bought at a price. Our our immediate visceral reaction is, how dare you? I mean, forget that guy. But, But let's explore the problem with that line of thinking and I'll do my best here in about three minutes to shatter the idea that unhindered self-expression is the end-all, be-all apex for our lives. Let me give us a little thought experiment to make sure that we're all kind of on the same page right now. And and I'm taking this actually from a spiritual hero of mine that recently, sorry, I didn't expect to get choked up, that recently passed away, Tim Keller. Uh, He gives this analogy where he asks us to picture, and so I'm going to ask you to picture a a, a gay Anglo-Saxon warrior living in Britain in 1800 A.D. 
Now, now the two primary natural drivers for this gay Anglo-Saxon warrior are are whipping butts and taking names and, and an attraction to other men. Well, in 1800 AD in Britain, it was a shame and honor culture. He who defeats others is lifted up. So this individual, this guy, this gay Anglo-Saxon warrior, he would have been encouraged to live into that macho, aggressive, destroy everyone in front of me proclivities. But when that same individual experienced same-sex attraction, he would have known, no, 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 you don't live into that. That isn't okay. You need to bury that. Now, now, I want you to take that exact same individual, again, gay Anglo-Saxon warrior, and, and drop that individual into modern-day America. And, and that person has the same two predominant impulses. Again, kicking butts, taking names, and then over here, a, a same-sex attraction. He would have been hearing the complete opposite messaging. Bury those aggressive, those violent tendencies. Go to anger management. Go to therapy. Figure that out because that is not you. And meanwhile, lift up make ultimate those homosexual tendencies. That is, is who you are. So, so you're tracking with me? Two different cultures and, and two very different conclusions regarding which inner impulse you ought to express and, and which one you ought to control. Why? This is really, really important. So bring it in if you've not been paying attention. Everyone has some grid with which they filter the desires of their life that helps them to decide which impulses they will control and which ones they will express. So let me land the plane on this thought because it's an important one. And again, it sets the tone for the entire series for everything else that Jesus is about to say. Honestly, there's, there's not really much of a point on going any further than this if you can't get your head around this thought. If you do not have a standard outside of human culture If you don't have a standard, a supernatural standard like the living, breathing word of God, then you will always use the culture as your filter and you will inevitably become who culture says you should be. It's that nagging question that is asked throughout scripture, conformed into the image of culture or conformed into the image of Christ. So you and I, and this is just a human thing, you and I desperately need a standard outside of human culture. And we would advocate around here, Jesus, his living, breathing word, the voice of the Holy Spirit, by by which we can sift the impulses that we experience and, and then let God decide what we control and allow God to decide what we express. So as off the wall as some of the stuff that Jesus will say will sound, and, and it will. Remember, Jesus was very counterculture. They didn't crucify him because they agreed with him so much. As off the wall as some of the stuff that Jesus said will sound, if you are not committed to the authority of Scripture and the teachings of Jesus, you will always end up being a slave to whatever sounds right. So when we come to view all of what we're going to talk about here in that light, it's maybe not as backwards, it's not as insane as culture would often sell it to be. Serve our our constantly changing culture or or serve God, who, by the way, never changes, who who, who cannot change. There there is his word, and then there's the world. And, And as Jesus butted up to during his entire earthly ministry, And what Christians are finding in greater measure than arguably ever before here in America, that there will always be a tension between his word and and the world. And a decision that every follower of Jesus must make, and admittedly, that might not be you this morning. 
You're just beginning to explore, but I'm just trying to give you a heads up that eventually you're going to butt up to this decision. A decision that every follower of Jesus must make is, hey, am I going to let what God says in his word overrule what people say in the world? Or will you let what people say in the world override what God says in his word? And if I can just be really straightforward, brutally honest right now, What we're seeing, or perhaps better stated, what's being revealed in this present cultural moment is how weakly the American church is rooted in his word. It's why my job becomes more controversial by the day. It's why a series like this is sure to sound even more upside down a year from now. It actually, if we're looking at it logically, it has little to do with the non-Christians, and it has a lot more to do with Christians who pick and choose their way through the teachings of Jesus and are allowing the world to be a more dominant voice in their life than his word. So, so again, let's bring this full circle. I, I, I want to challenge you. I, I, I want to invite you to actually open up the word and read it for yourself. Declare this morning, done are the days where I get my weekly spiritual dopamine hit here on Sundays and begin to actually feed yourself. Nurture a hunger for his word. Nurture a hunger for his voice, real intimacy with the living, breathing God. Bring these journals back with you each week and take notes. Allow God, who again does not change, to transform your heart and your mind. And if you're sitting here this morning, you're new to all this, and you're like, good grief, this is kind of hitting hard this morning. I would tell you, you owe it to yourself to read this book for yourself. Stop basing what you think you know about Jesus upon chopped up sermon clips and social media posts. Read about the life of Jesus for yourself. Receive his invitation into his upside down kingdom. Now, with about like the five minutes I've left for myself, uh, let me tease out where we're going here for the rest of the series. Uh, Again, we're gonna spend the next eight weeks specifically exploring those eight Beatitudes that we find right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, now chances are (laughs) you don't use the word Beatitude on a regular basis or any basis for that matter. Uh, And it's become, it comes from a Latin word, beatitudo, which comes from a Greek word, makarios. And in its most literal translation, uh, we would translate this word beatitude as blessedness. It's why each of these statements uh, begin with the word blessed, as we're going to see here in just a a moment. But, But like so often when we translate from Greek to English, and admittedly, Greek is a far richer language than English, we lose some of the meaning. See, it's so much more than than happiness or or favor. It's underscored by God's grace in the life of the believer. In other words, you can't even experience this blessedness without God. There's like a divine element to it. You can't experience that blessedness apart from God himself. It's reserved for those who are earnestly seeking him which is important for us to understand as we read through these statements, because admittedly, from a strictly worldly viewpoint, these statements, they make no sense. There again, as the title of this series would suggest, they're they're opposite, that they are upside down. So we pick up here in Matthew chapter five, uh, verse one, we're gonna read through all eight Beatitudes that we're gonna be exploring here in, in this series. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, and again, massive crowd in front of him that, that would only grow the longer that he preached. He, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and, and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek for, for they will inherit the earth. <laughs> 
But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. But blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember, Jesus is setting the tone for the rest of this sermon. This isn't, as again, we've reminded ourselves at the beginning, a slight tweak to what you've grown accustomed to and thought you knew. It's, it's a complete overhaul. This isn't a little bit of the world and a little bit of the word. It's, it's all or nothing, conformed to the image of culture or, or Christ. And, and here's the deal. To that original audience, though this would have been intriguing, perhaps even mentally stimulating, it would have sounded completely insane. But, but here's the deal. You and I, we, we know better because we know how, how all of this ends. We know just how far Jesus would take this with himself ultimately being nailed to a cross and then three days later triumphantly rising from the grave. I mean, the, the truth is for us, this, the, the words that Jesus just said, that they should make more sense, that they should be more palpable than to that original audience. Because on the cross, Jesus wins through losing. He, he triumphs through defeat. He achieves power through weakness and service. He, he comes to wealth by giving it all away. So see, on that day on Calvary, Jesus would turn the entire world on its head. There's a complete reversal of the values of this world with regard to power and recognition and status and wealth. In this upside-down kingdom, money is something to be given away. Power is something to be used for service. Jesus on that cross, he created an entirely new order for life. And all of these teachings, Jesus' ultimate sacrifice, all of it is for us. It's for you. As we often say around here, he would have died for you if it was just you. These beatitudes, this upside-down kingdom, it's, it's an invitation back to the original design. The, the way it was supposed to be before sin came along and, and disrupted all of it. And so with open hearts and, and open minds, let's explore this upside-down kingdom that Jesus would give up everything for, up to and including his own life. And in order to better position our hearts for what I think God wants to speak to us over these next couple of months, I'd like to walk us right now through a prayer. And there's three parts. The first one is, is repentance. I'm asking us as a faith community to say, God, I acknowledge that I have allowed the voice of the world to override your word. And come on, let's be honest. None of us are exempt from that. There, there have all been times, and we probably don't need to look too far back to, to acknowledge the fact that, that there have been times where we have allowed the voice of the world to, to, to gain a lot more steam and heading in our lives than, than the voice of God. But number two, I'm going to ask you to commit. I, I will not merely be a believer. I am committing Jesus to follow you right on into your upside-down kingdom. And, and I want us to remember right now, this, what we're doing right now, this guided prayer, it's between you and God. So honestly, don't pray this if, if you don't mean it. He knows exactly what your heart posture is right now. So, so be honest with them. And, and then number three, thanks. Thank you, God, that you don't change. Thank you for loving me. 
I mean, after all, God, who are we that, that you would consider us? It's crazy that, that you don't give up on us, that, that he's pursuing us even right now. I mean, what kind of a patience is that? What kind of a love is that? Repentance, commit, and, and thanks. But let's take some time right now to go to him and, and pray to him and share those honest thoughts and feelings with him. Well, God, we thank you that you are a God of uh, second and third and fourth and fifth and whatever bigger number chances that uh, you don't give up on us, that you're constantly pursuing us, that when we go uh, to your feet and we, we seek repentance and we earnestly seek you, you are so quick to pour out grace and, and mercy, uh, that which we actually deserve the least. And so, Jesus, we thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that you, you paid for us so that we might have new life, so that we might have, again, that second chance. I pray that... Um, we would not look at these opportunities that we have here on Sunday mornings where you're speaking so clearly. Uh, we wouldn't take that stuff lightly, that um, this would be a motivation, a catalyst in our lives where we wouldn't just be hearers, but we would be doers. Um, where over the course of the summer, and again, like I'm speaking from my own experience too, like where we often like it's so easy to just drift because life is busy and we only got a couple months of nice weather here in Michigan. But no, we would take this opportunity uh, because that's what it is, this opportunity here over these next couple of months to invest in our relationship with you like never before when honestly, like the beauty of your creation is on <laughs> such incredible display. Uh, when again, you make it so evident how, how good, how holy, how set apart you are. Thank you again, God, that the most holy God would take such an interest in us. We love you. It's your precious saving name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>